Good morning, listeners. You are tuned into the 3CR Gardening Show this Sunday morning. It is the 12th of September and we are live on the air. Good morning. My name is Chloe Foster and with me on the show today is two experts in their field and lovely humans. I would like to welcome John Arnott, the Manager of Horticulture at the Royal Botanic Gardens, Cranbourne Gardens, and Craig Wilson of Gentiana Nursery. Now, the boys are in their fluffiest dressing gowns this morning, coming to us remotely. Good morning, fellas. Good morning, Chloe and listeners. How are you both? Yeah, yeah good. Well. Morning, Chloe. G'day, Craig. And Hi, John. This is a new um, format for us, isn't it? It really is. It is, yeah. <laughs> so for those of you sitting at home, I'm in the studio here by myself. I've got a helper in the other studio. We're all socially distanced. And you guys are zooming in from your homes this morning. I'm sitting on my bed. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for a pink fluffy dressing gown, John. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> 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 it's a very strange thing to go around the garden collecting um, plant samples to talk about and not having to throw them in the car and drive for an hour. <laughs> yeah, you guys saved on travel time this morning. That's right. Craig, what is happening in your garden at the moment? Well, that's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's springtime. It's sort of a glut. Yes. Um, yeah. Of course, the work's constant. At the moment, I'm um, laying crushed concrete on all my pathways. So you're telling, about this bef- telling me about this before we went to air. You got it from mm. a general landscaping supplies place. That's right. If you just Google recycled crushed concrete. Which stops it from going to landfill. That's um, right. But it, you were saying that it um, makes a really nice surface it really packs down hard. Does it look a little bit like Lilydale toppings? Oh, look, it's, I mean, I've had three truckloads of it now and it tends to vary depending on, I guess, what, what they're, they're crushing. Mm. The batch. Yeah, but, but what my idea is that eventually I'll be able to put something nice on top of it, but just a thin layer mm. because you don't, you, know, you don't need that base. I've heard that... Um... Recycled concrete can um, provide localised alkalinity in, in the soil. Um, I would imagine that's the case. Yeah. 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 Leaching, leaching the lime and yeah. um, in, increasing the pH. You know, yeah. But that's a, it's a narrow strip. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, I don't know, the soil here is so acidic, I don't think it would really make a huge difference. Yeah, I was no. thinking that actually up in the yeah. Dandenongs, it is very acidic, so yeah. it might help neutralise it a little bit. That's right, yeah. Mm. In our sandy um, soils, sandy sands, uh, at the Cranbourne Gardens, if we have a concrete footing, um, if we don't bitumize, bitumen paint the, the, the concrete footing, we can get pHs, um, we can get you know really extreme. Yeah, just because. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, so you put a, bit, a little bit of bitumen down first, and then pour the concrete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Or, or actually have the. This is for like a footing for a, a you know, a building or a footing for a structure. Yeah. Um, the, the, the footing gets poured, and then we bitumise paint okay. around, around just to prevent that kind of leaching of of the line. So, so the leaching would be long lasting too, wouldn't it? it would leach for indeed. a long time. How come the, the pH there is so sensitive? to change I think it's just the sandy the nature of the soil yeah that sandy soil is 
um, yeah, it, it, uh, chemicals sort of move through the through the sands relatively relatively easily and quickly. Yeah, and it's inherently a, a, an acidic sand. Um, sometimes even hyperacidic. We can be down as low as four. Um, wow. in, in some spots, an acidic uh, sand. Yeah, usually yeah. yeah. For the for listeners out there, usually when we're talking about soils, you generally when you're teaching soils. Sands are really alkaline. They're a high pH, you know, anything eight and above. But you are saying you have sandy soils that are four, which acidic. is acidic. Yep. Which is a crazy combination. No wonder. <laughs> like it's a, it's a miracle that you're able to grow plants. At well, we the the thing which has liberated our garden um, in in recent times was that we we actually invested a lot of time in understanding the physical properties and the chemical properties of the of, of the sands because we were like we were struggling to grow things we were mm. struggling to grow things like uh regodia spinescence yeah. which arguably has got to be one of the easiest most forgiving plants that you could possibly even cultivate yeah, we were, we're actually struggling to grow that yeah it's a, yeah salt bush they grow so easily so easily um <laughs> We, we were finding that in some instances, our sands had a, a very fine clay particle in it and would almost deoxygenate it. So um, all of the roots, um, so the, the, the sands were like really, really poor quality. And if we put a mulch surface on the top and we were finding that all of the roots were just sitting immediately either in or underneath the mulch. Which is, um, you do not want that. You do not want your plant yeah. roots in the mulch. You have no resilience, yep. so you, you miss a watering or you get a really hot day, and there's just no resilience. Um, so, so, and we were experiencing this across the garden. Uh, so, we brought in a, a soil expert, a fellow called Declan McDonald, who is Doctor Soil. He's probably as good as it gets in 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 that game. Yep. Um, and he, yeah, so we've like we've probably understood what the properties of the sands were, and they were quite variable. But one of the issues were was the, the alkalinity, uh, sorry, the acidity mm. of the soil. So we've been applying lime, mm. um, and even just that application of lime has liberated the chemicals in the soil. And because that that's the issue with pH, if you have an extreme low or an extreme high, it kind of locks out a whole bunch of mm. elements. Mm. Just yeah. their, and your can, nutrients could be there, ready to be used. But if the pH is out, well, then it locks them up, and they can't move through the soil water or they yeah, can't yeah, move into just, the plant roots. They just can't be available. Yep. Uh, so, did you use dolomite or, or garden lime? We had to use a particular type of lime um, mm. uh, because we also had this really wacky magnesium and calcium um, balance, which causes soils to be highly reactive. Um, so we had we had we we couldn't just apply apply a, sta a standard garden lime because that would be messed with that calcium magnesium balance mm -hmm. so we ended up using something called bucken bucken light don't swear mm -hmm. on air please john <laughs> <laughs> it was a bucken bucken good one <laughs> from um, from the bucken region like from, it is, from it bucken is region. limestone yeah. out there in east yeah, gippsland yeah. yep and it, and it had the right chemical properties so um but that absolutely has liberated the garden uh, uh, compost application yeah. of compost um, and uh, decompacting. So, so the the formula is decompact an area, add organic matter, 
adline plant mm. and yeah. get get plant roots moving through the profile of the soil rather than sitting on the top. And it's and we're getting some fantastic results. It's not it's not rocket science per se. Yeah. Um, but isn't it interesting that that you know with the resources and some of the skills of botanic gardens, we have and the gardens opened in two thousand and six and really it was two thousand and twenty where we actually properly fully understood what we needed to do to our sand. Gee, that's not that long ago. No. No. Yeah. So we were struggling. We were struggling with with anaerobic, wet, cold, yeah. um, acidic sand, and plant health was uh, responding in kind. So, was it Declan that suggested the buck and lime, or did or did someone yeah. or did you try? Was one of the things that you trialed? No, he knew the chemical properties of. He knows the chemical properties of all of the lime pits. Yeah. He's, He's one of those guys. Yeah. <laughs> and well, you said so, it's not rocket science, but soil science. Yeah, no, like, it is soil Seriously, yeah, yeah. soil yeah. science is up there with rocket science. <clears throat> no, that's that, that's true. Um, it, it, to, to get to that formula, and the formula was relatively, relatively easy. Apply compost, open up the sand, decompact lime. Yeah. Um, that, that's a relatively easy. Um, it's, on face value, that would appear to be yeah. Almost intuitive. That's what you yeah, that's what you'd tell people that came into a retail nursery that were having yeah. compaction of soil issues. Yep. Um but, but it's the chemical properties of that lime. Yeah. Yeah. So how often do you mulch, Sean? Uh it depends on the it depends on the garden and, and yeah. depends on what type of mulch we're using. The other thing that we learned is that and you know, of course all gardeners know this, but mulches actually aren't mulches. They're not all the same. Mm. Um, they've got all sorts of different properties, and we were using something which was the byproduct from um, eucalypt oil distilling, um, right. which which was a good story, and you know it was a recycled product, and yeah. uh, you know coming from the Bazistos factory, um, so and looked great, really natural looking mulch, mm. but it, what it did, um, it. Mulches and sands are also an interesting thing because, um, particularly mulches which are which are full of oils, and this is a eucalypt mm. byproduct, so it's full of oils. Mm. And what happens with the the, the the mulches is that they release the oils onto the particles of the sand, and the particles of sand get coated with um, uh, with the oils mm. and become hydrophobic. Goodness me. Yeah. So, so yeah. You, you, again, you'd think mulch and sand would be a good thing because you're adding organic matter. Yeah. But the properties of the mulch that we're putting on actually provide made for a, 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 a hydrophobic surface. And hydrophobic basically means you put water on it and it just rolls off. It doesn't mm, get yeah. absorbed into the soil particles. Um, and that was an, and again, that was Declan that, that that worked through that. So, so and three quarters of the garden had this mulch on it. So, yeah. um, the first thing that we did was pull all the mulch off. It's a big um, job in itself. It was huge. Yeah. It was huge. We brought in an extra labour to do it. We had a gang of five people for about five weeks. Yeah. You would have had years of built up of that. Yeah. You'd been using that since the Australian Garden opened, hadn't you? Absolutely. So, yep. you know, 15 years of, of, of this organic layer. Right. Um, what a shame. And it, oh, for sure. And, it, and again, it seems counterintuitive to... To, to pull a, an organic layer off the surface of sand that doesn't have any organic matter. Yeah. But it was the right thing to do. Mm. And then, and so, so what so are you using? Coarse mulch, coarse mulches. So, yeah. um, 
wood mulches. So yeah. um, there's a, a, a the mulch. It's a, kind of industrial looking a little bit, but it kind of works. It looked like. Um, do they chip up old pallets for mulches these days? Yeah. It looked yeah. like that when I was last there. Yeah, that's it. So, so we use that in areas where um, that are probably not high profile. Mm. Uh, so, you know, areas like the car park and, you know, big areas. <clears throat> and that um, that actually proves it's proven to be a really successful mulch. But the other one that we're using is just uh, it's red gum chips. Um that uh, you know, in parenthesis, sustainably sourced mm. plant, plantation timbers. Yeah. Uh, but again, no fines. So no fines in the mulch, just essentially wood chips. So no leaf. No leaf. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah, leaf. I'm no a big fan of arborist mulch. No leaf, no twigs. Yeah. 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 So Craig, just, did you just... say you are or you aren't a fan? I am absolutely. Yeah. I stack it on. Yeah, right. uh, but I, I believe in the the combination of wood and and leaf and twigs. Yep. Yeah. In, in our sandy soils, that combination was didn't Doesn't work. work. No. Yeah. Just just because of that that the, the the properties of the mulch and the the the, the just that um, tendency for. Uh, um, humic material to be, be anaerobic, to create anaerobic, not anaerobic, hydrophobic, hydrophobic, uh, yeah, hydrophobic soils. Yeah, so yeah, we've made some great pro. We, we actually did a mulch trial uh, to work out what the best mulch for our application was, and we just got a whole bunch of commercial things, including mm, yeah. um, arborist mulch, and uh, and we we measured um, the water, the, the capacity to retain water in the soil. Yeah. Um, we measured soil temperature, which was kind of interesting. Mm. Um, uh, we didn't weed, so it was you know potential to smother weeds, and um, ended up with this red gum mulch being the thing that works best for us. Yeah. Well, I'm a great believer in wood in the garden too. Yeah. For mm. for for mycorrhiza, there's nothing like it. Yeah. 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 yeah and and how are these new mulches? Um, they're breaking down really well now, and and yeah, adding yeah, yeah, that yeah. organic matter into the soil. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, but 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 not creating a humic surface. Mm. And yeah. so, do you apply them annually or biannually? Or yeah, that sort of thing. Uh, we try not to go too thick. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, we try not to apply too thickly. So it's, but yeah, annually the the the, the recycled um, pellets. Tend to put on a little bit thicker, yeah. uh, and they can they can be maybe every two or three years that mm. we need to remulch. Yeah, because the chunkier it is, it'll take longer to break down. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, I think it's a good thing if it takes longer to break down. Yeah, it really opens up your soil having those wood particles in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so you and I, Craig, are, are gardening in the polar opposite conditions. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, we are the we're, well. Well, apart from the apart from the pH, you both have acidic from, soil. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I ton the dolomite on my garden. Yeah, mm. or, I'm using it all the time. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's to raise the pH a bit. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, even around rhododendrons and azalea, I'll use dolomite. Yeah. So I'm assuming you're you're right next to Piriana, aren't you? Yes. 
Yeah, that's red, beautiful red volcanic. It's plate. unbelievable. Yeah. Mm. I love my soil. <laughs> <laughs> I would be smug if I had your soil. Yeah, I am smug. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, it's difficult to find subsoil. Really? Because it's so, because the topsoil is really so deep. deep. Yeah. Really. Well, that's, that's why you can get forest giants up yeah. in your country. That's right. Yeah. 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 Just the, the resources in the ground. Yeah. Out of interest, how far have you tried to dig down to find Generally subsoil? about a metre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and underneath, underneath it is this orange clay. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the, just reflecting back on the Cranbourne site, the other thing is that we're gardening in sub-sub-sub-surface mm. sands because the, the footprint of the Australian garden um, <clears throat> used to be the highest point on the site. And for, that, for those that know the site, the tree point is now the highest point on the site, but the, and that sits 30 metres above mm. the, uh, the level of the Australian garden, but the Australian garden used to be higher, so it was an old sand dune. Yeah. So 15 hectares times 30 vertical metres, it was billions of um, metres of sand was stripped off the site for, for sand extraction, sand mining. Yeah. Until until the, they got close to got a perched water table and so until we got close to the water table mm. um, and, and the sand extraction area became unproductive and was just left at that point, abandoned. Yeah, and who thought that that would be a really good site for a botanic garden? Like, <laughs> who in the 40s said, great spot to put a botanic garden and grow some really rare Australian flora? Good idea. <laughs> um, anyway, we've reconciled that, um, mm. but it's taken us a, 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 a good number of years to, to, to work through it. Mm. Um yeah, it's good. It's it's it, it it has made all of the all of the difference, and and look, that's really it's testament to a terrific staff. Like we've established a couple of um, uh, working groups, a, a working group that looks after irrigation and a working group that looks after our plant records, but a really active working group um, led by Russell Lark, actually, who's a bit of a Euclid fan, and we should try and get him on the show. We should. I've tried. Yeah, you have tried it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and you know they've they've thrown yeah. all manner of effort and energy and time and you know a lot of time sitting behind shovels and spades and machine. Mm. It's best been yeah. So it's testament to you know, the, the work of the team. It's so, so you're basically rebuilding topsoil. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that takes a long time. It does. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah, and we really only trying to establish maybe 30 centimetres of, of, of decent growing medium. Yeah. Um, for, for trees, like in, a, in our forest garden, we're trying to get down to that metre if, if it's possible. Yeah. Um, just because we are going to be growing some big forest trees. and um, But to, in, just for general garden plants, we're trying to kind of activate having a, a growing yeah, well, 30, that, 30 centimetres thereabouts. That's exactly right. And that is, yeah. a, you know, about what you, you know, that's optimal. That's about yep. what you need, what where plant roots sit. But it'll be really interesting to see how your advanced tree or how the trees in the gardens go over the coming years. Yep. Most botanic gardens, you know, the really old ones in Melbourne, have these big, massive 150-year-old trees planted when the garden was first established. But with these soil... Um, challenges that you guys have had, 
um, it'll be really interesting to see how they establish and and hopefully whether they'll get to the heights that they would or whether the, the soil in Cranbourne sort of stunts them a bit or, or whatever's going to happen. It, it, it'll, it will be fascinating. I'm, I'm imagining that that, um, that things will be a bit smaller, uh, maybe even considerably smaller. Mm. That, that said, we've planted a Streslicky gum, which is a bit like a Eucalyptus ovata, a bit like a swamp gum, um, into the forest garden, and it's found its roots into the water table. <laughs> um, oh no! And it's away. It's yeah. looking like it's looking like a, a a sapling that you'd see in South Gippsland. Yeah, well, the, I mean, gum trees in Australia—they keep the water table down, and I'm sure other other species and gen, genera of trees do that too. But that's really funny—a typical yeah. gum tree. <laughs> They're so opportunistic. They are really opportunistic. I would imagine that if you keep building the soil, mm. they'll grow as normal. Yeah, mm. yeah. And you're onto it early, so yeah. as they grow, you will keep improving and building the soil. Yeah. Uh, so, soil is the foundation of the landscape. The three of us got together yesterday to talk about what we were going to talk about, and we weren't going to talk about soil. No. <laughs> soil is everything. Yeah, it is. We're so yeah. loose on this show, aren't we? It's great. Before we move on to what we we're going to attempt to talk about, I will open up the phone line. So the way that we are doing the show at the moment, we can't put our callers to air, but um, if you have a question or if you want to contribute at all, you can still call up. And we've got the glorious Gab in the other studio ready to take your calls and send us through any notes. So if you do have a question or you want to say hello and contribute somehow, give us a call on 94198377. So that's 94198377. You can also text us through on the SMS line as well. So as usual, that's the same number too. So that's 0488 809 855. So I'll just give out those numbers again. The phone line, if you want to contribute somehow, is 94198377. And the text line is 0488 809 855. Um, now, we're hoping to be able to keep this format of the show going uh, for the, the foreseeable future. Not that anyone can foresee any future at the moment. Um, we do have the email uh, address which people can contact. I know a lot of podcasters email the show um, too. So our email address is gardening at 3cr.org.au. So that's gardening at 3cr.org.au. So if you want to give us a give us a call and say hello, um, Gab can put through your messages and your questions to us. And uh, you can text us in on 0488 809 855. And in case you were wondering, you are listening to the live 3CR Gardening Show. I'm in the studio this morning and remotely I have with me Craig Wilson of Gentiana Nursery and John Arnott of the Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria, Cranbourne Gardens. He's the manager of horticulture there. And Craig is the head honcho of Gentiana yeah. Nursery. Now, John, we're talking about soils and we're talking about Craig's soils. Now, you are in a similar coastal sandy region where you live, but I doubt yeah. that you have acidic, sandy soils like they do at Cranbourne. What's your what's your garden doing soil-wise? 
yeah, no, it's it's that grey uh, coastal dune sand. So um, topsoil sand. It, it, it is topsoil sand, um, uh, but it's really, really difficult to wet. Um, like so, it is. It is a very hydrophobic sand. So does it roll off or just soak it away really like quickly? It rolls off. Oh no! Really? Almost like oil and water. Um, Why? Like it, it's, it, you know, like um, uh, mercury. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it just rolls off the the surface of the sand. So look, annually, I, I um, need to apply a, a soil wetting agent, um, just a, one of the granular ones, which just again breaks down that the, the surface tension uh, around each of the little sand particles and just allows sand to percolate into the, into the soil mm. it's pretty good it's pretty good in winter it'll wet up in winter with rainfall mm. because rain is nice and gentle and consistent and even and um, uh, but it, it it disappears being being a sand being a gray sand it doesn't retain water for all that mm. Um, but I've selected plants in the garden that actually like being dry. Yeah. So you know, it's it, and, and um, you know, it's been hit and miss, of course. Mm. Uh, How long have you been gardening, there, John? Only four years. Okay. Yeah, yeah. only four years. So, yeah. um, but look, getting some really lovely, lovely results in the front garden. It's a tiny yeah. little garden. It's it's it wouldn't be a hundred square meters. Right. Mm. Um, so it's you know, so it is a tiny, tiny little yeah. garden. So so we've put in lots of little. Little things, yeah. Um, you know, little flower, mostly mostly natives. There are, in, in fact, apart from two existing lavender bushes that have I've, persisted, uh, that I've persisted with because they were sort of structural and they look pretty nice. And mm. I've I've pruned them into balls. Nice. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But apart from that, it's a, a range of natives, some indigenous things, but you know that come from the coastal dunes. But uh, you know, lots of things from. Uh, arid areas and semi-arid areas, a couple of eremophilas and um, a nice structural bottle tree, which mm. actually needs a lot of water. Mm. Sorry. Bottle trees will, will survive without water for extended periods but not grow. Mm. Uh, so, What size uh, I, was the bottle tree when you <clears> put it in? Uh, about four feet, four and a half feet, and it's probably grown feet, uh, about a me- 1.2 metres. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably grown four or five hundred. Um, but the nice thing is, its trunk is starting to do what bottle trees do, trunks do, and swell up. Probably like, from you watering it. Yeah, it will yeah. swell from yep. from the water. So, um, so do you think that so do you think that you'll be able to change the st- soil structure over time? I haven't tried. You could, but I've just accepted that, that it is what it is and planted yeah. and planted to those conditions. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know a few. Small uh, acacias and yeah, eremophilas and that 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 type of thing. Things that inherently don't mind it being hot and dry. Yeah. yeah. Um, and getting some good results. So um, I could put something on the Facebook page. Yeah, send them, send them through to Lizzie. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Yep. There's, there's a lovely um, uh, eremophila nivea, uh, which two two in fact the, uh, again. So the structural elements in my garden are these shrubs. That's how small the garden is. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but these eremophilas are in full flight at the moment. They're just gorgeous. And you clip them? Uh, prune them after flowering. Yeah. 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 Prune them quite hard after flowering. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But eremophila nivea, it's a, it's a gorgeous tactile 
um, plant. It, it has this silvery, grey, downy foliage, mm. um, you know, like blanket-like, uh, yeah. really, really soft and, and masses of these beautiful mauve flowers that repeat flower. So it, it, they flower over extended periods. Mm. But there's always, you know, flowers popping out and flowers which are finished. And so it's, a, it's one of those repeat flowers that's got quite a long flowering season. So when do you, those repeat flowering plants, everyone always says, when, when do I prune <clears> it? <throat> when do you prune yours? Early summer is when it tends to, okay. most of the flowers have, have finished. But it's been flowering sporadically uh, for maybe a couple of months, two and a half months. Yeah. And I'll probably get another month or so before I get the secateurs out and yeah. hoe into it. I picked up a, a fuss pot aeromophila from Karanga. That uh, sounds like a winner. Yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> no, makes it right. I have this I have this pot at home and I bought oh the pink flannel flower. Is it Actinotus forsythii? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that only grows after fire up around the Sydney region yeah. in lime, very limestone soils. So really well, I'm thinking really well drained on these sandy limestoney soils. So um, I mixed a heap of sand into the potting mix and the um, actinotis grew really well, flowered beautifully, and then it, it died because they are ephemeral plants. I think they're ephemeral anyway. <laughs> I think sand's too fine for potting mix. Well, it, it's produced a really, really dry-ish, free-draining um, soil. So... Yeah. The plants that I have put in there since have been plants that need that either like it or need it drier um, and like a really, really free-draining mix. So I saw this Eremophila. I can't remember the species. I think it was either um, – I think it was uh, Kalgoorlie form or some, some random little thing from Eremophila from Kalgoorlie. I thought yeah. that'll be perfect for this pot and I put it in a really – it's in a, in a really sunny spot in the garden – and the water just drains out really, really quickly. And it's it's doing quite well. It's growing in Melbourne and it's been flowering sporadically since I got it. So I'm sort nice. of – I'd like to keep it a little bit dense. It's got beautiful bright green foliage, completely different to what you were just describing, but um, really nice, beautiful, bright purple tubular Eremophila flowers as well. They're, they're, they're a good group. But, yeah, but yeah they're, they're not for – Every garden. Yeah. No, they're not for me. No. No, Craig. No. Would. No. Yeah, they they would really hate it up in your soil and your climate. They die very quickly. What yeah. were you saying about sand in potting mix? I think it's too fine. I mean, to me, fines in potting mix are the enemy. Mm. Um, I'd be using pumice. Ah, right. So you'd still get the drainage. Absolutely, and, and also pumice is porous, so it yeah. holds moisture. So it holds moisture, but it doesn't get all clogged up and stagnant. That's right. See, what, what happens with when you put too much fines in the potting mix is that they drift down to the bottom of the pot. Yeah, I reckon they, they would. a sludge at the bottom. Yes. Which is completely unavailable to the plant. And, and, and probably even create a perched, you know, yeah. capillary that constantly moist. Yeah, <clears throat> potentially. Yeah. I mean, if I'm if I'm potting something precious, then I'll I'll sieve. With a two or two to three mil sieve, and take all the fines out of it. Mm. Okay, yeah, that um, that actinotus for scythia. Yeah, is that is that right, Chloe? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that um, it's it it it's just a fluke of of a, a, a 
geograph geographic boundary. But in Victoria, it um, it was it, it was only discovered recently in Victoria up in the Alps. There's a single population, and it's so in the Victorian flora it has conservation significance. Um, and in New South Wales, it's wide and abundant post-fire. The pink flannel flower grows in Victoria? Yeah, there's one population. It just blown my mind. I didn't know that. Where Do you know like what mountain or where um, it's growing? Is it somewhere in East Gippsland with the limestone yeah. soils? <clears throat> up, up Nuninyong Plateau. Oh, man, I need to get there. I've been wanting <laughs> to go there for so friggin' long. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's one wow. of those. It's one of those. It, it, so it's an outlier. Yeah. Um, but yeah, abundant in New South Wales. Yeah. Um, post fire. Yep. It does the same thing. It's a fire colonizer. Um, but yeah, up in up in Nunny, up up uh, Plateau. And it probably got got burnt in the Black Summer bushfires. Yep. And as well, when we when we did the bushfire recovery work earlier in the year, we saw a Forsythia and collected it. <gasps> I'm so jealous. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, how cool. Uh, <clears throat> guys, we've had a couple of um, couple of people contribute to the show. So oh, um, Michael from Forest Hill has called up about succession planning for natives in um, suburbs or council areas. He says, uh, you see a lot of mature or ageing eucalyptus and natives in public parks and streets. Um, what do you know about how succession plantings work? Um, what do you think councils are doing to plan for when their advanced trees drop off? I don't, I don't want to sound overly critical of um, councils. I think there might be, with a lot of revegetation, it's planted and walk away. Mm. Um, and... The things that persist are the things that persist. Mm. <laughs> you know, so often indigenous plantings in um, uh, urban areas are uh, quite diverse. You know, with little forbs and herbs and grasses, but it, you know, it, it it ends up the persistent euc eucalypts, the quick growing wattles, yeah, grow quickly and then start to senesce. Yeah, and um, you know, grasses and dinellas and Lamandras will persist, but but so <clears throat> I think succession planting and succession maintenance uh, is something that that councils could improve on. Yeah, I think they have really stringent selection criteria for what trees go into streets and into pub public parks and gardens. You know, they yep. have to tick a whole heap of boxes and be uh, depending on the situation, whether it's a nature strip <clears throat> tree or a park tree. Um, yep certain a certain shape it's going to get to a certain height not have known invasive root systems blah 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 blah. but i think at the other end it's like well if it dies yeah. we'll put in another plant that um that suits our selection criteria do a little bit of pruning along the way as it needs it um uh, but it's there's probably not a lot of planning for succession it's i wouldn't have thought so and, yeah. and, and succession particularly in in kind of that revegetated um, uh, context, it's actually once you've got a canopy, it's actually hard, hard because yeah. you've got dry shade. Mm. Yeah, that's right. You're trying to trying to reestablish the next generation of canopy in dry shade. Mm. So um, you know, there's an argument. Look, I don't know what the answer is beyond. Mm. I think it's a really, really good point. Um, I think it's a really good point. Uh, I, I wonder whether there might be some councils that are. 
that are doing that well. Um, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I C- think City of Melbourne's probably the best at succession planning for their for their street without, trees, especially without, you know the elms <clears throat> and, and oaks that line a lot of a lot of our streets. Yeah, yeah, without but a doubt. A lot of other councils are probably will replace whatever dies with a species that ticks the selection criteria boxes. Yeah, and the city of Melbourne, I mean, their urban forest strategy is it, 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 it's really worth cracking open and having a, a look. So, what was the name of the f- person from Forest Hill? Michael. 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 So, Michael, um, if you're interested, I'd be having a look at the city of Melbourne urban forest strategy, and lots of councils are actually starting to write. Um, urban forest strategies, um, but yeah, the city of Melbourne one is is really good. So I mean, they're they've they're not putting all their eggs in the one basket, and they're in they're creating that the the aim is to create these resilient urban landscapes um, by diversifying the, the 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 trees. So it's not necessarily about the species; it's about species that are suited. Mm. You know, Melbourne. As it stands, is not a monoculture of trees, but you know, elms and plains yeah. are the kind of the dominant things in the landscape. Um, uh, you know, elms are, are, are arguably not future proofed, um, and plane trees aren't without issues as well. So, so the, the, the strategy has been to diversify mm. um, plant selection, um, but it's a really good strategy. So, I'd be, mm. I'd be cracking crack that up, and that probably has references to succession. Uh, yeah, I would say so. That have to, in, in those urban tree strategies, I'd have to be thinking about that now, but it's probably not something that has been considered much in the past. We, we did the same at the Cranberry Gardens. We, in the 80s, we did some boundary plantings um, to screen off what was inevitably going to be suburbs to our south. Mm. Um, and... You know, so I, we didn't get it right because we didn't do that follow up. Mm. So we now have a senescing um, uh, buffer planning, um, which is not fulfilling. It's it's what we intended it to. Yeah. Because we come through it, it, things like silver wattles and um, you know those really quick growing, quick establishing trees, they've probably got a useful life of fifteen to twenty years. Yep. That sort of thing. Yep. Um. So it's not saying that it's a bad thing to plant those, but maybe maybe it is about diversity and maybe it is about mixing things up and mm. ensuring that there's a structure of long-lived, um, that there's a long-lived structural element in, in planting. So, I mean, that's probably a direction that would make sense. Mm. Mm. I hope that helps, Michael. We've had a couple of people... Um text in as well which is really good so the phone number again is nine four one nine eight three double seven, and the text number is oh four double eight eight zero nine eight five five. we are live in the studio for the gardening show this morning my name's chloe foster and i have john arnett and craig wilson with me uh craig this is probably a question for you we've had a text message from steph she's in Woodend. Um, she would like to propagate some hellebores. What is the best way to do this? Seed. Seed. So where could yeah. she get that seed from? Find some hellebores. They do seed and spread quite easily. My view is that they are destined to become a weed, mm. particularly up here. Yep. 
Yeah. Um, You can divide them. You don't get a lot of divisions, but you would do that um, in June, May, June. If she knows someone that has them in their garden or in some pots, you could divide them in early winter. Yeah. But what you're saying with divisions, Craig, is don't be too greedy. That's right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So you might get three plants. Three or four plants from a decent-sized clump. Yeah. Um, and collecting seeds from hellebores, uh, I've seen people put little, some little um, uh, like a net or a net, or yeah, them. netting yeah. bag over it. Yeah, is that okay. what you would usually do? Because um, they they well, drop I've, out. I mean, I've got them on site, so I just check pretty frequently if I want the seed. Okay, and wait for yeah. Wait if for if it you're to dry not out. able to keep an eye on them, then yeah, that would be the idea. Yeah. yeah. We've um, been doing that with some of the sorry, Chloe. We've been doing that with some of the pea flowers um, in the in the in the bushland, putting little stockings on yeah. because the peas will release. They'll their pop one out. That got next. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, with the oh, I was going to say oh, so hellebores. If you do collect the seeds, when do you need to sow them? Immediately. Would, immediately. Okay. Yeah. And is there any special treatment that you need to do? No. Okay. So very just very easy. Put them in some seed raising mix. Yeah, look, I mean, I use potting mix. Yep. And then I'll put some a little bit of seed raising mix, just a thin layer on top of the potting mix, and then I'll top that with something coarser. Yep. Yeah. And like just a, put them out under a tree somewhere. They're easy. Easy. All right, yeah. Steph, give it a go. Yeah. Too easy. <laughs> Too easy. All right. Uh, another. Question via the text. Oh, no, via the phone line. James from Coburg is looking for a comfrey plant. He tried a couple of nurseries, but no luck. Any advice where to get comfrey? Um, comfrey. It's a symphytum, isn't it? Yeah. I have symphytum uplandicum here, which is the common name's Russian comfrey. Cool, Craig. The common, the common blue one um, is a bit problematic because it just goes everywhere. As in it self-seeds furiously. I reckon you could get seed online. Okay. Yeah. That would be my view. Seed online. Seed online. Diggers Club. Diggers Club. Is it Eden Seeds as well? You don't need to have a membership for, so they might have it too. Yep. Um, Lamley Nursery would might would probably have them. Vice they seeds. probably wouldn't have seed. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> they might have plants. They might have plants. But, but seed, seed, online seed purchase would be the go here. Yeah. Yep. Or if he, if he, you know, if he has real trouble, just give me a bit of advance notice, and I'll pot one for him. All right. So I'm going to go right now into the next topic, and I want to talk to you, Craig, about how you're managing your work and your business at the moment. So you're listening to the Three CR Gardening Show. We are live in the air. I have John Arnett from the Royal Botanic Gardens and Craig Wilson of Gentiana Nursery with me. If you have any questions, uh, we can't put you to air, but we can certainly talk uh, talk your question through. Um, give Gab a call on 94198377 or the text line 0488 Craig, I'm dying to talk to you about how you are running your nursery business in lockdown. Well, the gates are closed. Yeah, but yeah, how yeah. are you surviving? Like, what are you doing? I set up an online store. Well, Did I you... didn't set it. I found <laughs> a, a young man who was capable of doing it. Yeah. And he's doing it for me and I populated it. 
And because you, you wouldn't have had anything like that pre. No, it's COVID. been a very sharp learning curve. Yeah. yeah. So you got the online store set up. Yeah. And all like, my pot sizes were wrong. Right. And now, like, you know, why were they? Why were they wrong? Too big. For the box, for the standard size yeah, box I mean, or I, something. Yeah, I, I was growing everything for retail, so it was all in fifteen centimeter pots. Yeah. And I've had, <clears throat> I'm still going through my stock, scaling all that down. So have you had to reprune a lot of your your existing stock to fit into a smaller pot? Well, you just do it slowly over a season, yeah. so that things can be done at the appropriate time of year. Yeah, but it's been a, yeah, it's a massive job. So it's a big job. Have you have you had a lot of online orders coming through? Yeah, it's been quite busy. Yeah. And then things which don't necessarily sell in the retail. And do you reckon that's because they can't see it, but you've put a pretty picture of it online? Yep, I do. People are so influenced by how things appear in a pot at point of sale. Oh, absolutely. Which is is such a shame. Uh, Truly, because some plants don't look good in a pot. So many. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it, it shrinks the availability of plant species right down. Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> That's actually fascinating. Yeah, it's it's no, you know, to, if you see a plant looking bursting with health in a pot, that is no indication of what it's going to mm. do in the garden. But if a plant has that doesn't look good in a pot, but it has a pretty label, well, then people will be more inclined to buy it, which is why we're seeing the rise of bloody plastic big plastic labels in nursery pots. Yeah, they're totally useless. When you get them home, you can't put them with the plant in the garden. There's no. nothing, you know, they're useless. It's just throwaway stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's silly, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, my little, my little white tags with pencil writing last for years in the garden. Mm. So you you would you would obviously have a big archive of photos of your plants that you've been growing over the yeah, years. That's right, so that's but not what... big enough. Yeah, okay. But yeah. that's that's what you would have put onto the, the online store. That's right. Yeah. And, and I'm doing that. I mean, at the, at the moment, I'm flat out photographing everything, mm. whether I need it now or whether I need it in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So well, it, it, it's fascinating, isn't it? So, so we're still, people are still making choices on an aesthetic, mm. but it's, 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 it, it's not an aesthetic. It's not. Um, it's it's not something sitting in a pot ugly. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They might like, get a bit of a shock nifofia, when the pot you know, arrives. I, mean, I have quite a big collection of nifofia. <laughs> um, the, the pokers. Mm. I've probably got 20, 25 different species and hybrids here, and they rarely sell in the nursery. Yeah, right. But because, online, they, because they present so poorly in a pot? Absolutely. Yeah, and you can't see the flowers in a pot. Well, if they do, they throw up one miserable one, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't yeah. know there was 25 different species and cultivars of Nifofia. Oh, way more. Wow. I have I have different ones flowering all year round in my garden. Really? Yeah. Different species, Craig? Or different just... species, yeah. Okay. Where do they Is naturally it... come from? South Africa or Africa. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, okay. um, you know, the, the, most of them are not weedy. I mean, if, if there's any, any sign of them self-seeding, then they are consigned to the compost. Mm. I road test them all. Yeah. Um, and most of them are not weedy. That's good. I That's bought good. one called 
Prince Igor, and it's seeded everywhere. Oh. Really? Yeah. Well, what's the name of the one that is weedy that we see? You know, well, it's, it's sold in a lot of nurseries uh, still, and you do see along. Straight Praycox. There's another one starts with you. Oh, yeah, that one. Uvalar, not Uvalari. Yeah, it'll come to me in a minute. Yeah. Uvalaria? Yeah, could be. Something like that. But it's a shocker anyway. And they're hard to get rid of. Yeah. I mean, Mm. you can't just pull them up. You've got to go and get a spade. They're very hard to get rid of. Because they have a uh, rhizome, a tuber? Rhizome. Rhizome. And, yeah, they run down quite deep. The roots run down quite deep. Right. Yeah. Are they a rhizome? Some of them are tiny. I've got one called Bressingham Comet, which is about 15 centimetres. Mm. Very cute. So, Craig, yeah, what, I... else is, what else has been popular as an online plant? Crane's bills. Okay. Geraniums. Oh, Geranium. right. Yeah. Which I have a vast array of. Um, yeah, I've just 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 about finished doing them now. So, if you had to adjust your your propagation numbers, yes, yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's it's just a matter of working out what's popular mm. and then potting a lot of that. <laughs> obviously, but you're going into herb pots rather than six inch pots. Uh, yeah, well, they call them maxi tubes. Oh, yeah. So okay. 10 centimetre. Okay. I mean, I don't like selling out, sending out tiny little things. You know, there's nothing less satisfying <laughs> yeah. than getting tiny little plants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and have you been using Australia? Like, have you been using, well, what sort of courier company are you using? Australia Post. Post. Just Australia Post. Yeah. Okay. And you put them into a, deal a box. With their, they have a deal with their boxes where they will either charge you by box size or weight. Yeah. So if, if you get a really heavy box, then you're just paying for the size of the box rather than for the weight. Right. Which and, suits me well. And you'd be express posting yeah. these things out. Yeah. Have you found your um, customer base or the, the range of your customer base has grown? Oh, enormously. So, so where, are you sending, where are you sending? Queensland and New South Wales. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly, you know, in Queensland up in the mountains, of course, the, the climate's not dissimilar to here because mm. um, it's a lot higher. Yep. And they, they obviously don't have anything like I grow available up there. Yeah, of course. Of yeah. course. So, yeah, you'd still be able to get well, that perennial ornamental garden, yeah, and up in Queensland. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah, absolutely amazing how everyone has um, – pivoted and people can be quite fickle <clears throat> what are they being fickle be about really careful with the packaging you know like you mm. get complaints about it had potting mix on the leaves or one of the stems was damaged oh please seriously yeah, yeah. that's out of that is completely out of your control well it, it, yeah i mean it's, it's all about packaging yeah, yeah. okay so i suppose if you pack it tight enough then there wouldn't be much movement yeah, that's right. Yeah. No Do, movement. You would be wrapped. Have you gone through like a million rolls of fragile sticky tape? No, I don't do that because, I mean, the, the guys at the post office have got enough to do without worrying about <laughs> I mean, I just package them so they don't move. Yep. So that we could play football with them. Yep. 
And do you, you'll, ex, you'll express post them most of the time? Yeah. So it gets there as yeah. quick as can be? And Australia Post is terrific. I mean, the service they're providing, given yeah. the fact that they've been inundated, yep. is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But you've moved into dispatching logistics. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Extraordinary. Mm. Yeah, and I've already got a full-time job. You know, I don't need another one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you doing click and collect as well for anyone that's local to you? Yeah, I do, but that's that would so minimum. Yeah. 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 But look, the website's going well, but it's, it's just constant work. And there was a period where I had a, of a, a few weeks where I had an IT crisis. Oh. <laughs> you know, my computer died and my phone died and there was all these things. And then we had no internet. And the online store just dropped off yeah. really quickly. Yeah. And then as soon as the IT crisis was resolved and I started fiddling with the website again, it just went straight up. So do people Actually, put in their online orders after consultation with you or will they just no, put it in an order? Look, that worries me a bit because if, if, if I have a customer who comes here from Cheltenham and they want to buy an Alpine plant, then I'll tell them. You know, mm. that's not going to grow for you. Buy something else. Yep. But you don't have that opportunity with the online store. And I don't know how much people read mm. because yeah. it's, it's pretty out, pretty clearly outlined in my blurb as to what will grow where. But I still see people ordering inappropriate plants and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. And on the website too, you've probably had to build uh, like a, a plant database with all the information of those like the yeah. plant's cultivation requirements as well. That's right. That takes a lot of time. Did your web guy help with time. that or have you been doing that? No, I've been doing that. Have you been sleeping? <laughs> yeah. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just pick away at it, you know, half an yeah. hour there, an hour here. Yeah. I mean, you're okay. twitching every five seconds that we can yeah. see at the moment, but you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good on you, Craig. It's, it's um, it, it, you know, it sounds like you're, you're doing okay. I think it's good. Yeah. Congratulate, like well done. Last or not, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is your website? Put it out so people can can check yeah. it out. Gentiana Nursery. You just Google dot com. Yep. And yep. Gentiana is G E N T I A N A. That's right. It's plant species. Yep. Yeah, which are almost impossible to grow in Australia. <laughs> it's not what I would have called the nursery, but there it is. What would you have called it? Oh, Alinda perennials, Alinda plants, something basic. Oh, Alinda perennials is lovely. Yeah. Uh, that can be a tagline. <laughs> uh, we've had another couple of questions come in, guys. Oh, great. Um, uh, a caller, Anne, has called in and offered to post Steph some hellebores. She has lots of different colours. So, Steph, if you are listening... Um, please give Gab a call on 94198377 and she will get you in contact with Anne. Thank you very much for that offer. Um, That's great. Another question, uh, Joanna from Ashburton. She planted, uh, Joanne, sorry, planted a couple of Marea paniculata seven or eight years ago. They have gone very yellow this year. Is it temperature related or soil? Should she be worried? I reckon it's water. Mm. We've had a lot of rain. Mm -hmm. So I might be getting a little bit waterlogged. Yep. That would be my guess. Yep. Yeah. I wonder if the leaves, if it's the older leaves or the newer leaves, because they can get a little bit um, 
yeah, the newer leaves can be a little bit yellow, and I'm wondering if that's sometimes a nutrition issue too. Could be. It, it could be. They're they're a um, they're a rainforest plant, so you know they they would have um, nutrient requirements. Mm. It's it, it's it's funny. It, you, you, not seeing the plant because mm. you know the basic premise is that you don't feed a stressed plant. You try yeah, to chew is, but if it's if it's not if it's not stressed and just running out of food, you know, giving it a feed would be the the thing to do. I, I, yeah. I wonder about the overall health of the plant beyond just color of the foliage. Yeah, so maybe yeah, generally. <clears throat> so okay. generally, if the new foliage is 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 turning yellow, that's an issue. Yep. If the old foliage is turning yellow, it's usually you know, just you know part of the normal cycle. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It, it would be a um, a bit, probably a good idea to check the pH as well. Yeah. Just get a little pH kit and just sort of see where it's landed. Because if they have gone well in the past, <laughs> something's changed. Mm. Yep. Yeah. I I wonder if I um, could be Joanne, the Yeah. Have a uh, a feel around the soil, you know, stick your fingers in there and see yeah. what's happening. Um, have a look in sort of the immediate area around the plant as well to see if there's water pooling everywhere or if there's a leaking pipe that, you know, that might be dripping from somewhere. If there is mulch, pull the mulch away from the, the collar of the, yeah. the base of the plant. Get your hands dirty and yeah. feel around that soil and see what's going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe wait. You know, sometimes they can get a little bit affected by the winter. So depending on where they're planted, if they're a bit more exposed, so maybe wait till the weather warms up a little bit more and see if they start responding to that warmer weather. I, th I think you're right, Chloe. A, a cold well, and Craig, a, a, a cold wet winter for mm. a subtropical plant. Yeah, um, that it just could be that mm. it, yeah, things. Warm My experience up. with with tropical and subtropical plants is that. Cold is fine. Cold and wet's a problem. Cold yep. and dry is good. Yep. But cold and wet's an issue. I bang on to my students about that exact combination all the time. It is a yeah. game changer. If you can work out the that cold, wet or hot, wet and what yeah. what one of those combinations a plant prefers, right. yeah. game changer. I mean, I've been growing ficus rubiginosa as bonsai for years, the, mm. the Port Jackson figs, and I just put them in the polytunnel over the winter and don't water them. Yeah. Really dry. Mm. Yeah. And but they love fine. the humidity in the, in the warmth. Yeah. And yeah. the leaves stay green and, and they keep growing all winter. Yeah. But if yeah. you leave them outside, then they get the black spots all over the leaves. And, yeah. Yeah. and that cold, wet thing was what we've addressed with that in the first going back to the first conversation that we had about the cranberry sands that was cold and wet that was the issue yeah yeah cold 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 wet winters and just yeah. plants sulking so you were mm -hmm. having cold wet climate but you're also getting cold wet soils as well yeah. and climate and soil are the main two drivers for plant distribution and and how a plant is going to respond to the environment that it is in those, those environmental factors <laughs> there you can, yeah. if you can reconcile those or plant to those mm. you've mm. got it sorted yeah. All right, uh, Joanne, I hope that has helped. Um, I will remind callers, or listeners, um, if you have a question for us, we can um, put your question through. We just can't put you to wear with the way that we are running this show remotely this morning. So we are live in this, I'm live in the studio. 
Um, John Arnott and Craig Wilson are zooming in with me. We can see each other, so we can. Uh, we'll get to our some of our plants in a minute. Um, if you have a question for us, give us a call on nine four one nine eight three double seven, or send a text message through on o four double eight eight zero nine eight five five. Uh, Craig, we just spoke about how you're handling um, work and COVID. John, what's the um, Cranbourne Gardens looking like working remotely and, and all that? Um, yeah, look, we, we, we're getting pretty good at this lockdown caper. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're well practised. Um, uh, so we're, we've gone from a skeleton staff we, it's various percentages of, of, of our staff. So we're, at the moment, we're at 75% of the, the field staff, uh, ward staff and um, the team on site. Uh, coming into spring, that's potentially a bit of an issue because it's the kind of the peak period for uh, just workload, really. Um, but the, I think one of the lovely things that has happened through the the this lockdown era and the five kilometre um, limit is that Cranbourne people have discovered the Cranbourne Gardens. Um, so, finally. Our, our, yeah, finally. That's so fantastic. Because it, it, is, it is sort of hidden away. It's off it the is. main roads and there's a yep. dirt track to get to the back fence. Yep. Um, and, you know, people have done the cracked open the what's within my five kilometre radius and there's this big green bomb. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've never visited before and, you know, we're finding, you know, lots of walkers, lots of bike riders, lots of young families, lots of mums with their kids, um, you know, using the garden. Um, and, and, and you can kind of tell that they're first time users because they're, they're coming in and they're a little, a little disorientated, not sure where the entrance is. And, um, yeah, but but yeah, that so our local community have, have discovered um, the accessibility and the beauty and the just the the access to to, to the Grand Gardens. It's been really lovely. Yeah, what a wonderful facility to have on your doorstep. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. magnificent. Yeah. Um, so that's been a that's been a real plus. Mm. Yeah. This time last year, we we probably had the best flowering spring that we ever had, but we were closed. Oh no. Um, oh, what a so, bummer. Oh, it was dreadful. It was like really, really strange. Um, what do you reckon led to the best flowering season? Like uh, the, That plant health thing. Yeah. Soil, soil, soil plant work. health. Lots of new plantings going in. Yeah. Um, yeah, lots and lots and lots of refresh, I, I, I think. Um, so, yeah, this year, whilst you know, it's limited to Cranbourne people or Clyde people or Clyde North, that sort of thing, um, we... Yeah, it, it's it, it's it's lovely watching local families using the garden sometimes mm. for the first time. Yeah. It, it brings with it a you know some some issues like we're seeing a few more dogs than what we would normally see, and um, you know people haven't quite worked out what the some of the nuances of a visit to the Cranmer Gardens. Yeah, mm -hmm. but that's okay. That's that's all all part of. Yeah, you aren't allowed to bring dogs or other animals into the botanic gardens are you tell me why uh it's because uh of the our native wildlife so we've got i think it's just on 20 species of native mammals on site including yeah, that's a, a lot yeah it's a lot yeah, yeah. 
most of those bats. Yeah. Um, but there is a, 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 a substantial and significant population of southern brown bandicoots. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, they just just the, the scent and the presence of a dog would potentially not completely displace, but it, it would be a stressor mm. for, for little uh, terrestrial mammals. Um, so that's that's the that's the main reason yeah. is just protecting the the biodiversity values and the wildlife. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there are other you know for cranbourne folks, and um, there are lots and lots of other off lead um, parks in and around the uh, town. Yeah, well, one of the beautiful things that has come out of being in lockdown <laughs> is that people. Um, see, one of the only things you can do is go for a walk in your mm-hmm. local area. And if you are lucky enough to have a beautiful public garden, um, whether it's, you know, a botanic garden or, you know, just just a boring old park. Yeah. Uh, I've got a lot of creek trails around where I live. Um, I've got the Dandenong Creek and the Mullum Creek near me. And it's just it is so cathartic walking along those creek trails and walking through those gardens so it just does the world of good so because you're mostly working face to face teaching yep so completely i've been we've been able to bring in some classes um to do assessments that can't be done remotely which has so been or, yeah, yeah, real practice, the prac assessments, which be, has been a godsend because last year it was all online and then quick run back onto campus, you know, in the last few weeks of term to get these prac assessments done. So this time cool. around we've been able to um, get permits to do those online, um, to do those on campus, but have been remotely um, teaching um, pretty much all term now, um, which... It's a two-way it's a two-way street remote learning, um, and you find it with meetings that you're probably in as well, John. Um, it's as good or as bad as everyone makes it, and mm-hmm. if if everyone makes the best of a bad situation, online and remote learning is it's actually not that bad, and I don't mind it, and I'm very grateful that I can still do my job completely from home, and I am still confident that my students are learning the right amount and just as much as they were, as they would have been if we were on campus. Uh, It's just a slightly different format. So instead of going out into the campus gardens after a lecture on insects, I'll send them, you know, we'll we'll keep our Zoom open and I'll send them out into their gardens to try to find some aphids or some insects on their plants or in their wider gardens. They can take some photos and share them onto forums or we'll come back and they'll share what they've found. I went, I made them go out and collect some weeds the other day, put them into breakout rooms and they ID'd them and worked out some control methods or control measures for those weeds. So it just, it's just a bit of tweaking. Yeah. Um, and I, they're still, they're still learning the content. It's just a, it's just different to how we all imagine it and what we, you know, baseline expect. Yeah, and and I think you're right. I think it is the 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 attitude that you bring into into that. I, last week, I uh, facilitated a, a a collection planning workshop online, and I, I, I thought, well, I'm not sure how this is going to go. Mm. Um, 
and it, it actually relied on participation. Yes. People to jump in, people to be engaged. And once it was flowing, it was flowing. But, um, you know, I was, I was like packing my dacks <laughs> <laughs> leading into it because I you know, thought, you know, what yeah. if, what if, if, if we don't get much back mm. or, or if we don't get this dialogue going, it's, yeah. it's you know, we could, it, it could just be an unremarkable event. Yeah. How so, many people, John? Uh, 30 people uh, across right. Australia and New Zealand. It was a sort of a network. Did you yeah. know, did meeting. you know many of them or were they all new people to you? No, I, I, I had the advantage of knowing quite a few and, yeah. and um, kind of knew who some of the chatty ones were. Yeah. And look, it was a, it's a little bit like doing this. It, it was, it, it, you know, it's a conversation about a particular topic. Yeah. Um, but there was, yeah, so it, was, it kind of took the form of a bit of Q&A until the conversation started to roll. Yeah. Mm. Um, but it was contingent on, you know, people putting in, really. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, it was a lot of people, yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 It was, but no, it, it was a successful meeting. But another little benefit, so our, our staff, when they were working in lockdown, um, you know, at, at the, there are, I mean, there's plan, curatorial planning and, you know, research and plant research that can be done. Um, but we were starting to run a little bit short so um we all decided to pick on a genus and um, so so people were researching a genus so we've got um 18 people on the staff and we have 18 genus geniuses <laughs> <laughs> um who research and then present to the group about that particular particular genus we, we, we've only just started doing this um but again, that's it's providing really meaningful professional professional development opportunities yeah. to yeah. fill that to fill that void. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. So the first our first two genius geniuses were uh, Blecknam, um, and that was uh, Owen who looks after the the Gondwana Garden, and Matt Henderson yeah. uh, talked about Fabaliums in Victoria. Oh, and they're wow. fantastic. So. Yeah. People are looking at a pacris, oleria, um, a whole bunch of whole bunch of different things. Becky is so we're yeah. It, it, it is about ad- attitude, and it is about just making the best of the yeah situation. Yeah. yeah. Um. I in face to face class and online classes, I always want students to pipe up with a question when it comes to them so that you don't lose that brainwave and train of thought and it's the same online too like that participation is so so important and vital to the this online format working and it 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 is tiring being on zoom um or or any sort of video conference it is really really tiring Mm -hmm. and everyone is getting zoom fatigue at the moment um but it's a way it's a way of still being able to do something yeah imagine if we didn't have that technical i don't know what they did in the spanish flu after the first world war (laughs) stayed home slept a lot yeah Yeah. they would have (laughs) i don't know red books i I don't know i don't know yeah red books we're, we're pretty lucky to have this format so that we can continue and not put everything on hold yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah. It could be a whole lot worse. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are people in a lot worse situations. 
indescribably worse. Yeah, and I really do feel for them. It is is awful. But for those that are in those positions where you can keep doing something remotely, like get around it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Guys, we've got a lot of – we've had a number of questions come through. Oh, great. Great. um, Which is fantastic. Uh, Margaret from Mount Waverley. Wonderful show. Thank you very much, Margaret. Uh, Her question is how to repot an ornamental grapevine. She said it's about 20 20 plus years old. It's been prolific in the past, not this year. Pruned it in July. Can she strike a new one from from a cutting? Um, But, yeah, repotting. Well, I would say that you would do it towards the end of winter, just as the leaf buds are starting to swell. And then you would take it out of the pot and get a gardening fork and, and take all the old potting mix off it. Yep. Bare root it and mm-hmm. completely replace the potting mix. And and reduce that root system by Absolutely, third? by two thirds. Two thirds. Yeah, I would have thought so. I mean, people yep. are people are very quick to cut the top of a plant and then they balk at cutting the roots and it's mm. essentially the same process. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Get a hose out, bare root it, see the structure of the root system. That's right. And then prune it like you were pruning the top. Don't be frightened of pruning it. Yep. It's, it. it's all about the time of year. And if, if you are doing significant cutting to the root system, you want to do that just as the plant's about to grow so that the roots start moving immediately. Yep. Rather than doing it too early in the winter when you'll have all these cuts sitting in cold, wet potting mix. So yeah. would that be the next... August, early August, that type yeah. of thing. Or, or, I, yeah. I don't know what stage it's at now. No. Mm. Yeah. Presumably, it's already going. You would but, think. Yeah. If it's really early, it would still be okay. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but take, taking a cutting of the grapes, relatively easy thing to do as well. And should be able to do it now because they'd be coming out of dormancy. Yep. Yep. So would that be make- a hardwood. Would that be a hardwood cutting, Craig? Don't know. I don't know. I would say you would do hardwood cuttings in winter or um, semi-ripe wood in summer. Yeah. That would be my guess. And, and the difference between a hardwood cutting and a, a, a tip cutting, it's a hardwood cut. I'm imagining that, that, that they're sections of stem, uh, pencil thick or... or yeah, last year's growth, I'd say. Last year's growth, yeah. And then and, and the, the, the other... The, uh, the, Semi-ripe cuttings are this year's wood, just as it's starting to firm up. Yep. So not as floppy. Yep. Yeah. So not not the, the active growing tip. Cause That's right. Back a bit. Back a bit. But cool. before the bark just starts changing colour. Mm, okay. Cool. Yeah. But but yeah, my understanding is the grapes are relatively easy to propagate so. from cuttings. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck, Margaret. Uh, Craig from Main Ridge on Moynton Peninsula um, thinks he's got Grevillea leaf miner really bad at the moment, has hundreds of Grevilleas on his five-acre property that are being eaten. Help. 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 Grevillea leaf miner. Uh, I don't know it. I'm just I don't know quick... it either. So that's interesting. While we have a look into that, there's got another question. Um, Joy from Keysborough has an azalea, about 15 years old. It's an old variety. The flowers are going brown before opening. What could this be? It's petal blight. That's the wet. 
So how can she remedy that, Craig? Can't. So it's stuffed. Well, no, because it probably won't happen in, in subsequent, in, you know, in the future. It depends on the season. Now, this year has been extraordinarily wet. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, people often try to turn to the chemical solution, but I, I, I don't do that. So um, if blight is a fungal disease, so yeah. would you recommend um, think about maybe removing those flowers that are there and getting rid of them, like taking them out of that situation to get that you fungal? You could pick the old flowers off it and yeah. throw them away, yeah. Yeah. Good hygiene, yeah. 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 I, I just had a quick look at the blight, uh, sorry, not the blight, the leaf miner, and yeah. it's a it's a caterpillar. It's one of those frassing um, caterpillars. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so the, there is a, a, a product called Dipel, which is a um, it, it's 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 a bacteria, um, a beneficial uh, bacteria, beneficial bacteria yep. that you could actually apply apply to those plants, and that would be targeted only to to, to um, Leaf chewing caterpillars. Yeah. So yeah, the 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 alternative is to, is to use something which is a bit more generalist, and you'd be knocking out all of the beneficial things as well as the the target pest, yep. which often just sets up a greenfield site for the for the mm-hmm. pest to reinfest. So, yeah. but yeah, di- the thing called Dipel, D I P E L, um, would be log- logical in this instance. So you could also prune back some of the plants that have it to you know. Give the plant a bit more airflow going through, open it up to a bit more sunlight and make it a less protective environment for the leaf miner to hang around in. Yep. You yep. need some birds by the sound of it. Yeah, which grevilleas yeah. usually bring in. They usually yeah, bring in the right. birds, but maybe they're not flowering at the moment if they're not, you know, firing on all cylinders. Mm. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I'd be looking at, at some, some dipel. I mean, it, it's it, – it, the – one of the philosophies of integrated pest management is to not try to obliterate, but try and control. Yep. As in completely remove, because these leaf miners are likely a food source for little brown bush birds. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and down at Main Ridge, I'd imagine that there'd be a few of those around. Yeah. Yeah. You, you talk um, about threshold values yeah, for integrated yeah. pest management is. In a nursery, your threshold for pests is going to be a lot lower than than in a garden, and you want to you want to provide a food source for all sized critters. So it's probably tolerable to have some of those leaf miners hanging around for the birds that are in the property, but you probably don't need to get rid of all of them. So, mm. Mm. And and maybe diversification of plantings as well. Um, you know, mm. often, often if you have stuck monocultures, and I know yes. um, it doesn't sound like a monoculture, but it does sound like a uh, an emphasis and collection on grevilleas, which are a host. So, yeah, you know, if you were mixing up with a few other um, a few other different types of plants, not necessarily grevilleas, but other, you know, calistamins and myoporums and um, eriostamins and that sort of thing. Mm. Might be a thing to do. Um, We've had a photo come in from Kim and we're just trying to get it up on the screen at the moment. Thanks, Gab. Type of stone fruit tree. It's it's a prunus. (laughs) That's about as far as I can go. Uh, I would say something like a a cherry. It's probably a flowering cherry. 
Gab, can you put the message up from Kim again, please? Uh, she lost the label, hasn't fruited yet. I know it's one of the stone fruits. Sorry, Kim, I'm not much help on the specifics there. Um, maybe, um, maybe we could bang it on to the. If is it Kim? Yep. If Kim has access to the Facebook, maybe she could put the image onto the Facebook yeah. or email through. Maybe email it through as well. Yeah, email it through. So Kim, our email address is gardening at three cr dot org dot au, uh, or post it to our Facebook page um the instagram even accepts photos as well um but yes yeah, was, was there an issue with the tree or no she's lost the label and can't remember what type of stone okay. fruit it is okay yeah. yeah yeah um we're running through till quarter past nine so we've got a still got a little while to go if you want to call up and have your question put through to us the number is nine four one nine eight three double seven and our text message number is 0488 809 855. Um, there's a couple of other text messages that have come through, guys. Again, thanks for a great show. Um, for the listener looking for comfrey plants, I have comfrey plants available at my little web store called thegoodgardener.net. In the seedlings department, I send all non-plant I sent to all non-plant quarantine states. Um, comfrey is amazing and very valuable for all kinds of reasons. So if you're looking for comfrey, thegoodgardener.net has some. And, it, and isn't this great that we couldn't – this live format allows the 3CR community to, to be a community? Yeah. Um, it, you know, compared to doing replays and things like that. So yeah. just a shout-out to Chloe because I think this was your idea and, and good on you for, for – um, for putting this forward, I think you know it's it, it's not proving to be. Um, it's well, I think it's proving, proving to be okay. I think we're doing right. I slept pretty yeah. well last night, so I wasn't too stressed. I and... woke up worrying that my battery had gone flat. This <laughs> um, year, I'm having. I'm really genuinely having a lot of fun at the moment, and it is really yeah, good that we can still have listener interaction with us. Um, yeah. So this is definitely working. Gab's doing a really good job at sending, Thanks, um, yeah, at sending the questions and stuff through to us. Um, a couple more text messages. So question for John, and I would say Craig too. Um, what is the safest organic weed killer to use for weeds growing between pavers that won't harm a dog? Two cat and two cats that spend a lot of time in the courtyard. I've been using boiling water, but it's hard to keep on top of them. That's from Danny. Um. Yeah, I was just going to suggest boiling water. Yes, yeah, so was I. <laughs> so I was reading that. Um, but anything that I say will will create a, a barrage of angry calls. So I'll I'll, I'll pass on that one. Yeah, well, went, there's uh, home gardener standard and the stuff that happens in the industry, isn't there? Look, there are there are some organic um, uh, herbicides or weed killers which have hit the market. Um, there's some pine-based things. There's uh, something which is using pelagonic acid. Um, but so, so there are some contact um, yeah. uh, they're, they're, they're plant oils, concentrated plant oils um, that are non-toxic. Mm. So certainly they're non-toxic and propose even, even suggest that they're organic. I just try um, to keep the animals out of the courtyard for a couple of hours after spraying so they can't get it onto them and just sort of let it dry. Yeah, my, my dogs always live to an old age. <laughs> <laughs> the, it's because um, they're the radioactive. 
<laughs> the issue with these these alternatives to glyphosate and and um, herbicides uh, is that they are um, essentially what they do is they break down the cuticle of the leaf, so they're um, uh, they're acids and you really wouldn't want to get those on your skin or the paws of your little cats or dogs yeah because yeah. um, it, it could cause some nasty burning uh, you really wouldn't want to get any of that stuff in your eye because yeah. there has been instances of people being blinded um by getting some concentrate into their eyes so, these organic these organic yeah in my experience of them john and i've i've tried them all that i could find is that they just burn the tops off them amen yeah. Yep. And then yep. they just come back again. Yep. And, you know, glyphosate, look, I know that it's an issue, but the people who are, have really been impacted by it are drenched in the stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. If you wear the right PPE yep. when using any sort of chemicals, particularly, you know, yep. any schedule chemical, you're not putting yourself at risk it's when or your dogs it's when you mix it with your arm in the big drum before you yeah. start spraying and pouring it on or you're boom spraying a whole crop yeah, yeah. And, and you're doing it day in day out yeah yep, that's right yeah, yeah. um do you i mean the you know you know cratching a concrete pavement the old dutch hoe um it's, mm -hmm. it's going to do the same thing as the as these organic organic compounds it, it'll it'll kill the top bit but unlikely to get down and, and kill. Yep. Kill. It's so. What you could you could get a, a, a good sharp hoe and just chip chip literally chip the weed the tops of the weeds off. Mm. Yep. By the time if you're persistent, um, you'll exhaust the vigor of the plant and yep. they'll, they'll, they'll they'll drop out. So so mechanical, like uh, yeah. I mean the alternative to, to um, uh, chemical application and and these organic compounds are still chemical applications it's phosphoric yeah, acid mm. yeah. um you know it's just that they're of a natural source yeah uh, but the the alternative to that is mechanical removal yeah yeah and it all depends and well it depends entirely on the sort of area you're covering i mean if you're doing a small area then weeding's viable yeah yeah and um, with a lot of these the more organic or the, the contact herbicides is they will just burn and fry the top off. And if it's yeah. weeds generally are very resilient and have a very strong root system, usually a taproot and that taproot will just, it's got energy stored in it. And just two weeks later, it'll push up we've all, leaf growth we've all, again. So if she, <laughs> if, if she is right, if Danny's got, if they're soft herbaceous weeds that have a really shallow root system, well, then those contact acid-based herbicides will probably be fine. But if you've got weeds like fleabane and um, dandelion, the ones that have really strong mm -hmm. root systems, yeah, that's you, you're almost fertilising them. Yeah. What about what about Cooch and Kaikuyu? Doesn't yeah, work it, it, it very well. Work. No, it's not going to work. No. Um, combination. So manual removal, whether you're pulling them out by hand or using some sort of a, a hoe. Keep going with, keep persisting with the boiling water, um, and and maybe you know try one of these more organic herbicides, but don't solely rely on that. So we're talking about integrated pest management before, well integrated weed management. So try a whole, you, you've got to try a whole range of different methods. Yeah, I mean you could use the um, the, the these new organic sprays, to, and then finish off with hand weeding. Yep. 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 Or hand weed out what you can and then spray what you can't. That's right. Yeah. 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 
Um, I hope that yeah. helps, Danny. Um, we've got a, just a, another text message um, about a, transplanting a small camellia. Um, can I move my camellia? It's about two feet tall, planted it too close to another tree. Um, yep. I also have rust on my garlic leaves. Will that affect the bulb? All right, so camellia transplanting first. Two feet yeah. should be able to do it. It depends how long it's been in the ground. Mm. If it's only been there for a few years, it'll move easily. Yeah. But once once they're established, they, they get a really long root system and they're hard to move. Okay. I think if it has been there for a while, um, getting a really sharp, even sharpening yeah. your spade and cutting maybe 30 or 40 centimetres out from the trunk, a circle all the way around the outside of the tree, mm -hmm. Um, maybe even digging a trench and then backfilling with some softer material. What happens is you sever those roots that have that have escaped into the soil, um, and where the sever is, they produce new fibrous roots. Oh. So you're actually moving something with active roots. So if you if you do have the luxury of having you know 12 months to mm. um, to to do that, that would be the that would be best practice. Yep. Yeah. I, I look, John. I would. I wouldn't. I'd, I'd, I wouldn't move it now. I'd move no. it in March. No, but you might. When the you, soil's you might, warmer. You yeah. might get the roots. You might yep. cut the roots now. Yep. Yep. Um, and and rust a... on the foliage of garlic. Is uh, it going to affect the bulbs? Uh, well, rust inhibits photosynthesis. Mm. Yeah. There's not as much energy transfer up and down. So it would. it would... It would be having some effect. So maybe it would diminish the size of them, wouldn't it? Mm. Prune it, prune off what you can, um, but maybe a spray with some bicarb soda solution or eco fungicide, which is similar to bicarb, yeah. to try to kill yeah. that fungus. That'd be good. Yep. All right. Um, text messages are coming in. Uh, thanks again for the show. Listening in from Central Queensland. Hello to Renee. Um, Lovely. Roz from Brighton has a kaffir lime tree which is laden with limes. However, um, she drops most of the fruit. I'm thinking the kaffir lime is a she. Um, is this normal? What can I do? The tree is healthy. Um, would love your advice. So I'm assuming it's dropping fruit, aborting fruit, or dropping mature fruit? Uh, hard to say. Drops yeah. most of the fruit. So aborting the mature fruit, I would assume. Okay. Um, could be a water issue if it's if you're in sand. So if she's in bright, might be sandy soil. The plant. Yep. So citrus trees have shallow root systems. Yep. You might need to start irrigating the plant a little bit more regularly because um, yep. sandy uh, water just filters through sandy soils. Yep. Um, and if it's has a shallow root system, then it's not going to get a lot of water. So it's going to go into a bit of a survival mode. Uh, so you might want to. Um, was yeah. yeah, just water the water the plant a little bit more regularly. And I think, um, look, I don't know this, but I'm imagining that that um, a consistent, a more consistent uh, soil moisture rather than sort of peaks and yes, you know, dry, wet, dry, wet, dry. It, that I'd imagine that if you could keep the, the moisture levels more consistent, that that would that would benefit yep. the plant as well. Yep. That would be achieved with mulching it, or yeah, yeah, yep, yep. great. So it comes down to mulch, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's full circle this morning. Yeah, <laughs> um, bit of mulch, and as we're coming into summer, you know, give it give it a water two or three times a week, 
or a couple of times a week, but be consistent with your watering too. And, and some some dynamic lifter or something under the mulch. Yeah, they're, they're Christ feeders. Mm. That's right. Yeah, it's a lovely term that one. Mm. <laughs> um, we've had a, another text message from someone in Bo Morris. We haven't, we can't see your message though. So if you're from Bowie, please send your message again. A um, couple of other texts. Sue Stevens, great show. Was great to know what Craig has been up to and how he's been selling his plants online. Um, I have screenshots of what I need. <laughs> um, so many lovely things available. It's my favourite nursery. We'll be in touch with you this week. And I love the segment on the mulch by John and Craig. Take care, everyone. Thank you, Sue. It's lovely. Thanks, Sue. Yep. Uh, scroll up. You Gab. know what I've been doing at the back of my garden, John, is I've been I've been getting wood, you know, substantial, ten to fifteen centimeter thick or diameter, and Great. laying it down. Yeah. And then putting the wood chip on top of it. Yeah. Right. Right. And you you dip the spade in and just move it aside, move the mulch aside a bit, and it's just white. Cool. Yeah. With mycorrhiza. From mycorrhizae. Yeah. Yeah. Extraordinary. Yeah. All right. Another couple of text messages. John Bentley says, great show. Lovely to see that you've managed to be live. Craig, your website is wonderful. Uh, John, who are the chatty ones in these meetings? Me. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't noticed. (laughs) Uh, All right. We've got another question from Beck. Um, Thank you all so much. I teared up when I heard live voices this morning. Oh, thank you, Beck. Beautiful. (laughs) Um, being isolated on a property, I hadn't realised how much I depend on the 3CR gardening show to provide a sense of connection and structure to my week until COVID hit. Your hard yeah. work is so appreciated. That is the kindest message. It is. I've, yeah. just had a, I've just had a message come through from Evan Gorky as well saying, hey, John, uh, hey, Chloe, John and Craig, loving the show while letting the chooks do the gardening. Yeah, <laughs> that's me too. I've been teaching my chooks to eat sticky weed. <laughs> Oh, good. So you, good. You, get, you get them really hungry, don't feed them. Yeah. And then chuck a pile of sticky weed in the pen. As in that gallium thing, the thing that... Yeah. Yeah, really. And they love it. Really? Yep. Pretty um, oh, fibrous, isn't it? Yeah, but they don't seem to worry. They, they, they've been gobbling it down. <laughs> so then no, when you great. let them out, they go looking for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're, they're really nice messages. That's... um. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's Thank really you, everyone. We're, yeah, like we are so excited that we've been able to work out how to do this um, in a remote format this week. We had it's a couple a game of tri- yeah, it is. We had a couple of tri- we had a couple of trial runs, and Tuesday night we we're a little bit um, the internet connection is slower on on a week on at night time than it yep. is in the morning. So we we're a little bit crackly, and then we yeah. had another run yesterday, and it was a lot smoother, um, which is. It's fantastic. So, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to keep going like this until we, as long as we can and as long as we need to. So, yep. fantastic. Um, Kay from Viewbank um, has called through um, about the weed killer and the paving, um, which is with a, a method which we didn't mention before. So, one litre of white vinegar, one cup of salt, Oops. spray when sunny and apply um, as needed. So, that's that's another really good idea. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it seems, it, yeah, that's great. Really good. Mm. Vinegar. Yep, vinegar. It can be a bit of a go-to for those 
kind of natural um, solutions and mm. cleaning and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're still we're running through for another few minutes. John, you have a beautiful bunch of flowers. What have, is there? I, look, I have a, a really nice bunch of flowers, and there was a, a photo. And I'd, I'd like to mention something specifically, though, because um, we haven't got a lot of time. Uh, and it's a plant uh, which is indigenous to the flora of Melbourne. Um, it's called the emerald starbush. Mm. Uh, Astralasia, it's got a, a, a dreadful name, Astralasia astriacophora subspecies albiflora. <laughs> um, but the emerald starbush, uh, and as it, you know, it's restricted to the Mombalk emerald area, sort of southern uh, dandelions. Um, and, and, this, so, and it's a threatened species. It's, uh, it's endangered in the Victorian flora. Um, but this plant has been adopted by the emerald community as their floral emblem. Emblem, mm. um, and I just think it's a lovely, it, it, it's a lovely example of community conservation um, of a of a of a local significantly threatened species. Um, lovely little garden plant, uh, you know, it's got masses and masses of. of White flowers with yellow stamens, so you know it's highly ornamental. Mm, it is, it is. And it's a shrub, John. It's a shrub. Yep, yep, yep it's a shrub. But the emerald starbush uh, is an example of an endangered species, which is making it into people's gardens. And we're working on a project called Raising Rarity, which is potentially even commercialising some of the, mm. the, the threatened flora of Victoria. Mm -hmm. We've we've got this currently under garden trials. Um, to see how it, we know it, it performs okay, but um, yeah, we're, we're currently just assessing its potential to be a good garden plant. So yeah. it should grow here. Yeah, cultural requirements I, of yeah, it. Absolutely. Sorry, Chloe. What are the cultural requirements of it? Uh, I guess that's what we're determining. We're growing that yeah. in full sun. It seems to be pretty tolerant of a lot yeah. of things. Well, where does it but, grow naturally? So obviously in the mountain areas. Yeah. So yep. it would need a pretty organic matter-filled sort of soil. Yeah, but again, in our sandy soils, it's proving to be, you know, quite quite good. Yeah. In fact, it's proving to be really strong. But it'd be a, a, a terrific addition to your garden, Craig. Mm -hmm. I'll um I'll send you up some cuttings. Thank you. Chloe, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> can and, I just can I just give a shout out to Denise Smith if she's around? Yes. If she could give me a call, and this is Denise Smith in Dalesford. <laughs> One of your one of your clients that you haven't spoken to for a while. Yeah, yeah, and I just I would really like to speak to her. Yeah. So yeah. Denise, no. she's a, she's a regular listener, isn't she? Yes. So if you're listening, or if a friend of hers is listening, please call us in. Um, Craig wants to catch up. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Um, one last text message. We are we've got about another five minutes left. Um. The format is going very well from a listener's point of view. Thank you for the feedback. <laughs> um, thanks to everyone for going live again, and that's Cindy and Eltham. Thank you very much, Cindy. Um, we've got another uh, question from a caller. Um, what to do with ailing, ailing passion fruit, five years old? It fruited, but it was woody, and the leaves are going yellow. What do you guys think? Oh, a new one? Yeah. Yeah. Rip it out, start again. I think so. I'm not, that's my understanding is that, that they, they will persist, that they that it's a bit of a bell curve. They'll have a 
sweet spot of mid-age, which only might be three or four years, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah. And then start to drop off. I mean, you could try rejuvenating it, pruning it and feeding it potentially. Yeah. Be careful not to damage the graft. Start again. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Start again. Because they, they do fruit pretty quickly when they're younger. It's not like you have to wait seven years or something. You know, you get fruit a couple in the first year and then the second year you'll, you should get plenty. Mm. Thing, yeah. Yeah. You've got another one in that beautiful bouquet uh, there, John? Um, the, the, the wedding bush, um, Rickonocarpus, is the Cranbourne bushland is uh, alive with the, the, the wedding bush. It's a gorgeous uh, planting you for you for the AC family, mm. uh, and and a couple of proteaceae things as um, uh, dryandra gone straight out in the head and a tilopia. Isopogon? Um, dryandra juniata, uh, and the tilopia is um, braidwood brilliance. Yeah, very early, isn't it? Yeah, it is early. Yeah, uh, really coming into their own. They're, they're, the plants got hundreds of, of flowers on it at the moment. Um, so I mean, the variety that flowers early is it John? But it might be, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and a, and a really lovely sedge, well, it's a restio, uh, called Meboldina, um, which I'm just pulling mm. out. Meboldina is it's um, it's just got these beautiful brown, fluffy seed heads. So you know, grass-like, yeah, um, a really tidy tussock that produces these gorgeous. Uh, seed heads. They are underrated. Good in wet spots. Good in wet spots. Yep. And, and they'll persist with these beautiful brown um, florid seed heads for, for yeah. many months. Yeah. And a whole bunch of other things we don't have time to talk to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just we are, um, we do need to wrap up in a second. Um, Lois and Robert in Mitcham, so glad to hear you back on air. Craig, as soon as lockdown is over, we'll, up to, we'll be up to see him with a voucher. Love the mulch talk and enjoy the repeats, but this is better. <laughs> um, it's great news. Yeah, it is great news. Yeah. yeah. Well, guys, it's pretty much quarter past nine. Um, we uh, made it. <laughs> and I've got the red battery signal. <laughs> oh, dear. It's um, my worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Thank you both for being so excited about giving this format a go. I am so thankful. Again, it's a participation thing. I am so thankful to both of you um, and your internet connections. Um, (laughs) And thanks to everyone, particularly Gab at the radio station, for helping us troubleshoot how we can do this. This format worked in my head and, and they, they were happy to run with it. Um, and and Virginia and, and AB and the rest of the crew are keen to, to keep going in this format too. So um, us guinea pigs have done really well this morning. <laughs> it's been, been, been a lot of fun. Chloe. Yeah, it yeah. has been. Thank you. Thank you very Thank you. much. I've got a video I'm going to post on my Instagram later, so maybe Liz can share it of, of what it looked like this morning. <laughs> okay. Um, Thank you to Liz for doing the socials. Thank you to Gab and Karina. Um, and thank you to John and Craig and all the listeners for texting and calling in this morning. We had a lot of fun. So um, enjoy your gardens. Get out, go for a walk, find a local park, and have a lovely day. Yeah. yeah. Good on you, Chloe. And thanks, Chloe, for initiating this. It's, um, yeah. you know, that it, it's just, yeah, yeah, good work. Yeah. Well, we'll good to see you, John. Yeah, yeah, good, good to, see to see you both. We'll, yeah. we'll, shall we be back live next week at 7.30, so we'll see you then. Thank see you, Chloe. Bye.
Cheerio.